BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. KQED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. Last week, a Texas judge temporarily blocked a directive from Governor Greg Abbott that called for child abuse investigations of parents who seek gender-affirming medical care for their transgender children. But the Texas Attorney General is appealing and more states are considering similar laws. We'll talk about the recent spate of anti-LGBTQ plus bills and how they've affected kids and families nationwide, how they may have affected you, and how you've approached talking to your kids about gender and sexuality. That's next on Forum, after this news. Good morning, this is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. A poll released this morning from the Public Religion Research Institute finds 79% of Americans favor laws that would protect gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people against discrimination in jobs, public accommodations, and housing. But that is not what we're seeing in state legislatures, with advocacy groups tracking nearly 300 bills considered anti-LGBTQ, many of which impact kids. This hour, we'll talk about the laws and policies proposed in Florida, Texas, and other states, and we'll talk about how they're all impacting LGBTQ families, especially queer and trans youth. And we want to talk to you about how you approach questions about gender identity and sexuality with your kids. Joining us are Joe Yurkeba, uh, reporter for NBC Out, the LGBTQ section of NBC News. Joe, welcome to Forum. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Kate Oakley. She's state legislative director and senior counsel for the Human Rights Campaign. Kate, very happy to have you as well. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, Joe, I want to start with you. You've been in Texas on the ground reporting on the fallout from this decision by uh, Governor Greg Abbott and the attorney general to essentially direct their child protective services to investigate families um, who have uh, helped or supported their kids in getting gender affirming treatment. Can you just explain kind of the genesis of this controversy in Texas and, and what is the current situation on the ground there? Sure. Yeah. So um, this actually started last year when Texas considered a bill that would have made it child abuse for parents or doctors to provide gender affirming medical care um, to their trans kids uh, who are minors. And that bill ended up being killed um, after, you know, advocates uh, pushed back really hard. And then um, this year came around, Texas doesn't have a legislative session this year. Um, And so there was a back and forth between 
uh, legislature um, in the state legislature and uh, Attorney General Ken Paxton about you know whether gender affirming medical care was child abuse. And the Attorney General came out with this non-binding legal opinion where he said that he believes under state law it is child abuse and that um, the different state agencies should investigate it as such. And then the governor, Greg Abbott, came out a day later with a letter affirming that and he directed the Department of Family and Protective Services, which is the state CPS or Child Protective Services organization, to investigate the parents of trans youth um, who were reported for uh, supposedly providing gender affirming care to their minor kids. Um, and so those investigations have begun. Uh, the state has said that they currently have nine open investigations. Um, but last week, a judge did issue an injunction temporarily stopping those investigations pending a lawsuit from the ACLU. Um, but the attorney general has said that he's appealed that. And because of his appeal, the investigations are ongoing but the state agency hasn't confirmed that to me. Okay. Um, so the, the what's happening on the ground right now is parents are just terrified. Um, I mean, I spoke to one mom who, in an article I wrote, uh, went by her first initial L just because she was so afraid, you know, for her family's safety and their privacy. Um, and she told me that, you know, in a uh, um, investigator showed up to her front door even though her trans son turned 18 in February. Um, and the investigator told her that she had been reported by someone uh, for providing care to her son before he turned 18 and that they could retroactively investigate, which is terrifying, you know, for parents who don't, who all, who have minor children who are trans and they're currently getting care, but also for parents whose uh, kids have recently turned 18. Now they could face these investigations, even though like L, you know, their kids might be moved out of the house and onto college. So um, they're really terrified. Trans teens are afraid of losing their healthcare, losing access to it, which could have incredibly negative mental health um, and physical health impacts. Um, so there's just a lot of fear in Texas right now. I can only imagine what that must feel like. Um, and, and and it's just, it, it sort of feels, I mean, the idea of somebody showing up at your door to investigate you for something, you know, that your family has decided, a, essentially a private medical decision, feels very un-American. What have been the arguments in Texas around this specific decision? Sure. Yeah. So um, the arguments in favor of this, uh, if you you know take a look at uh, the attorney general's opinion, is that this medical care, gender affirming medical care, which can include for people under eighteen, um, just a social transition. Um, well, sorry, that's not included under under medical care. But for medical care, we're looking at puberty blockers, which temporarily pause puberty, um, hormone therapy like estrogen, um, and then surgical interventions. Uh, and the attorney general has said that he doesn't believe that kids can make decisions to get um, any of this kind of care. And the opinion um, doctors have told me relies on a lot of uh, misinformation about what kind of care minors are actually receiving mm -hmm. um, because kids who are uh, prior to puberty don't receive any kind of medical intervention aside from just um, uh, you know, social support and social transition. Um, and then at puberty, they might consider doing puberty blockers, but not all trans people you know, choose to pursue that. Um, and then when they get into their teens, they might pursue hormone therapy, but all of this is done, you know, with a team of medical professionals. Right. And I actually spoke to a doctor in Texas who said that she has a weeks or months long wait list to even get in to see her for a consultation. Um, so this isn't something that people are, you know, jumping at that isn't being thought through or that they're not like, you know, there's a there's also a consensus among medical professionals that this is medically necessary care, 
Um, all relevant uh, accredited medical associations support this care for trans youth. Um, so doctors are saying that the attorney general here is really relying on a lot of misinformation. Absolutely. And we're actually going to be speaking with a doctor in a little bit to talk a little bit more about some of that uh, misunderstandings and, and sort of what what the process actually is. Joe, before I go to Kate, I just want to um, I know you're not in Florida, but if do you mind just filling us in on what's happened there? I know um, this bill has also gotten a lot of attention. Uh, critics are calling it the don't say gay bill. Um, and it, it seems to me like this one as well could have like more broad effects because it could affect, I mean, will you, you talk to us about what it is and then we can go into that. Sure. Yeah. So the bill, as you mentioned, critics are calling it the don't say gay and trans bill. Um, The state has actually uh, named it the parental rights and education bill. So they're framing this bill as um, you know, around the idea that parents have a right to bring their child, their children up the way that they would like with their own values and things like that. Um, but, you know, what advocates are saying is that the bill has very vague language. It says that, you know, um, there should be no classroom instruction about sexual orientation or gender identity um, or discussion about those topics with kids in um, kindergarten through third grade. But then it says, or if the material is deemed um, not age or developmentally appropriate. So a parent could sue if they, you know, have a middle or high school child who's learning about something related to LGBTQ issues and they believe that isn't um, age appropriate for them. Um, So there's a fear that this could open up teachers to litigation. Um, And also what we're hearing from students on the ground is that it's just creating a culture that makes it feel like um, it's not okay for them to be out as LGBTQ plus people or, you know, for them to talk about their families. Um, So it's definitely creating a lot of frustration and fear in Florida. Yeah. And again, that chilling effect. I mean, I I can imagine like I was thinking about this. I mean, obviously, this is going to have an effect on queer and trans children. But what about kids also, you know, cisgender kids with two moms at home or, you know, I mean, it's written so vaguely that it seems like it really could open up a a can of worms that I, I would imagine if you're an educator is terrifying. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, And that's what we've heard from educators and young people um, is that like, it's just so incredibly vague that it's unclear, you know, what can you talk about if you're just a a young kid who, you know, mentions or tells a teacher that you've been being bullied for being gay, um, what are they allowed to say in in return to you? And, you know, like, what kind of support can they provide you? Um, so, yeah, that's definitely what we're seeing is that the, the vagueness of the bill is really um, leading to a lot of fear. We're talking with Joe Yerkeba, reporter for NBC Out, the LGBTQ section of NBC News. And I want to bring in Kate Oakley, state legislative director and senior counsel at the Human Rights Campaign. Kate, your organization is tracking over 550 pieces of potentially uh, LGBTQ-related legislation in state legislatures. Why do you think we're seeing this push now? Um, You know, it feels like we sort of, (laughs) 10, 15 years ago, we're fighting about marriage equality. But as we said, polls really show that there's a lot of support for protections and, and for marriage equality. Is this, do you see this as blatantly political? Yeah, it's absolutely blatantly political. And thank you for that question, because what we have seen since 2015, when the marriage equality uh, decision was in front of the Supreme Court, the Obergefell decision was in front of the Supreme Court, we at the time had polling that showed that the American public overwhelmingly supported marriage equality and thought it was a good thing. However, state legislators uh, did not seem to share that feeling. And so starting in 2015, we started to see a huge surge 
in the amount of anti-LGBTQ legislation um, in state legislatures across the country. And uh, it's very similar to what's happening now. That surge started really about marriage and uh, uh, wedding-related refusals. It also, and, and other kinds of religious refusals, it pivoted when that failed to be about bathroom bills, um, when bathroom bills failed with a lot of the um, pushback around HB2 and other bills, um, then they pivoted again. And starting in 2020, what we have seen is a really horrible, destructive, and single-minded focus on transgender youth. Um, in 2020, we had a record amount of anti-transgender legislation filed in the state. So this is legislation that would specifically target transgender folks. In 2020, we had 79 bills uh, filed across the country that specifically targeted trans folks. That was a record at the time. In 2021, we had 150. And then this year, so far, um, and as you know, it's only March, so far we have about 130 pieces of anti-transgender legislation, um, specifically anti-transgender legislation moving through state legislatures. So why is that? Why is this something that in the last three years has become the single-minded focus of opponents of equality? It's because nothing else has worked. It's because they couldn't keep marriage equality from coming. They couldn't create enough fear um, with their misinformation around bathroom bills in 2016 and 2017 to have that be something that people were willing to start peeling back on LGBTQ equality. And now, uh, they've focused on transgender youth, um, I think partially because there are still questions for, for some folks who are fair-minded, generally speaking, but who maybe have some questions about the details of yeah. what it means to be a trans kid. Yeah, and, I and think- Kate, I, yeah, I want to get into that after the break, because I do think that, you know, we're talking very differently in this moment about gender than ever before in our history and openly about it. And yeah, so um, we're going to continue this with Kate Oakley from the Human Rights Campaign, Joe Yurkeva from NBC. And we're going to bring in uh, a medical doctor after the break, as well as a parent. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 866-733-6786 or find us on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum. We'll be right back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim. We're talking about the recent anti-LGBTQ plus bills and legislation nationwide with Joe Yerkeba, reporter for NBC Out, the LGBTQ section of NBC News, Kate Oakley, state legislative director and senior counsel at Human Rights Watch. And I also want to introduce Dr. Jack Turbin, a chief fellow in child and adolescent psychiatry at Stanford University School of Medicine. Dr. Turbin, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So you are an expert on these issues. Um, I know Joe brought up at the top this question of, you know, relying on Texas on sort of faulty or outdated uh, data and assumptions. I I was hoping, though, we could kind of step back a little bit first and just talk about what we know about trans, non-binary kids, um, LGBTQ kids. I mean, I know you mostly deal with trans, but just the, the psychological effects of both just growing up in the society we have and then on top of it hearing about these types of things I mean we already know that there's uh, deeper mental health challenges um, for example in the trans community so what do you like like how do you see this within that context yeah thank you for that question also because I think we focus so much on the the direct impacts of some of this legislation that would take away medical care Um, And of course, that's going to have a huge negative impact on the mental health of these kids. Um, And I think Joe outlined really nicely um, how this really is a very careful methodical process of talking to kids about which medical interventions might be indicated and why. But the, you know, the physical dysphoria that a lot of these kids have is just one piece of the puzzle. And the other thing that we know really impacts their mental health is something called minority stress. Um, So this is a framework that was first described for lesbian, gay, and bisexual people um, by Elon Meyer at UCLA. And it just describes the ways in which uh, how negative treatment by society impacts your mental health. And a lot of it's not surprising, right? You can imagine if you're being harassed and rejected and discriminated against, you'll feel more anxious and depressed. Um, But the other really difficult thing to watch is over time, some of those external factors like harassment, discrimination, they become internal Mm -hmm. factors. So things like internalized transphobia. Um, So a lot of these kids, you can imagine if you're hearing all the time on the news, you're a threat to people in bathrooms, or you can't participate on sports teams because you're going to hurt people, or you're not actually trans, you're just mentally ill. A lot of these kids know on a conscious level that that's not true, but it's really hard for that not to seep into your unconscious and start to drive a lot of anxiety and depression And you also start to expect that the future is not going to be good, right? If you, for much of your life, have been harassed and discriminated against and attacked by politicians and all these high-profile people, it's hard to imagine that in the future things are going to be better. (laughs) We spend a lot of time talking to these kids that, yes, it's horrible now, but hopefully we can get you to a place in the future where it's going to be more safe and affirming and accepting. Yeah. So one thing I think we're not talking about enough is just, just even the way we're talking about these actions by Paxton and Abbott, um, even when these things don't go into direct effect, even if the kids still get their medical care, just the way we're talking about this on a national stage is having a really dramatic negative impact on these kids. Yeah. Joe, your Kaba, you've, uh, I, I know reported on some studies around this. It's not just kids in Texas or Florida or the other states where we're seeing this that are feeling this negative impact, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. No, the Trevor Project did a survey um, last year that uh, found that a significant number of LGBTQ plus youth are also, you know, feeling, um, 
having negative mental health impacts of just hearing the conversation around these bills. Um, and of course, that's mostly trans and non-binary youth. They're bearing the brunt of that. Um, but there's definitely just an impact from hearing that rhetoric, you know, about the about banning uh, trans young people from sports teams and things like that. Um, yeah. And I want to, you know, talk about <sighs> part of this also seems, Kate, to be I mean, an attempt to demonize folks who are different, essentially, and and and, and create fear, but also um, an idea like that that I think expands beyond conversations around queerness and transness, around you know protecting kids from books or just things that parents aren't comfortable with. And we and, and let me just read you a comment um, we got ahead of time. Chris wrote on Instagram, I don't talk to my kids about gender and sexuality because I'm not a creepy parent. I'm sure they'll be fine. What do you make of that sort of comment, Kate? Well, um, I think that for one thing, I think that everybody's kids are different. And I think that parents have to assess, you know, carefully where their kids are in terms of maturity and and what uh, kids are ready to hear and not hear. But, you know, I think the the point about schools um, being a place where we are sort of collectively fixating a lot of concern, um, um, this idea that we have to be censoring uh, what teachers are allowed to teach, what they're allowed to say, um, both about American history or what kinds of literature they're allowed to teach, um, or even what they're allowed to say about their own selves and their lives. Um, or, of course, about, you know, allowing kids to talk about their own identities or the identities of people that they love to bring questions forward. You know, this idea of censorship, which you know, there's been so much conversation about critical race theory in uh, in in schools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that unfortunately there's been this movement around trying to fix what what is uh, scaring people by focusing a lot of attention and and surveillance, frankly, on what's happening within classrooms. Um, And there's been this huge movement there. And then there's also the huge movement to target and other transgender kids that I was describing earlier. And those two things have collided in, for example, what we see in Florida with the Don't See Gay and Trans Bill. Um, But, you know, I also would say that for small for kids. Um, and again, you, this conversation can be more or less detailed depending on the kid, depending on their maturity level, depending on what their exposure to the is- these issues have been. But honestly, you know, I find in talking with my own children about these issues that it's actually pretty simple for them. Um, and a lot of the things that grownups attach to these issues to try to make things be complicated is just not complicated yeah. to kids. Uh, And so I do think that we, of course, have to make sure that we are sharing information that kids are able to digest. But I also think that we shouldn't pretend that our kids aren't people, that they don't see things in the world, that they don't have questions. And kids, of course, specialize in asking difficult and annoying questions. Um, But that's part of parenting. And (laughs) it's part of what we all have to do. And maybe you, maybe, maybe folks feel uncomfortable about trying to answer those questions because they themselves don't know all of the answers. And that's okay, but that's also not an excuse. Um, That means that you have to go and find out to be able to provide your kids with the answers that they need. Absolutely. Um, I want to say goodbye and thank you to Joe Yerkeba of NBC Out. I know you have to get going, Joe, but thank you for all your reporting. And we're going to hopefully have you back at some point to to update us on, on what you're seeing there. Of course. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. 
Um, Dr. Turbin, what Kate's talking about, I mean, sort of this idea that if we talk about difficult things, it might push kids in a certain direction, I think on the, you know, that that's maybe a, um, a concern that even parents who might be more progressive or sort of open to these kinds of conversations might have just, I think intuitively there's a sense of like, I don't want to, you know, ruin my kids' uh, innocence with whatever it is. Can you talk about that? I mean, clearly there's violence in the world, whether or not people are exposed to violent media at a young age, right? I mean, is there any evidence that talking about sexuality, gender orientation, all these things at a young age pushes kids in any direction? Really, it's the opposite. Um, And I understand where parents are coming from because we live in a society where sex is stigmatized and gender is very heated politically. So it's scary to want to talk to your kids about these things. But the reality is that kids from a pretty young age are thinking about things like sexuality, sexual orientation, gender. And if you don't talk to them about it, if a trusted adult doesn't talk to them, they're going to try and find the information somewhere else. So one really scary statistic, for instance, is that one in four um, gay and bisexual boys are on hookup apps like Grindr, um, you know, in these very sexualized spaces for adults, um, or they're maybe going in chat rooms that aren't moderated and and trying to learn, right? No matter what, they're going to want to understand themselves and, and romance and intimacy. And if you don't talk to them about it and give them accurate, safe information, they often try and find it somewhere else that's not safe. And that can have really dangerous, bad outcomes. Yeah, so that's one thing that I worry about a lot. No, absolutely. We're talking about anti-LGBTQ bills and legislation and how to talk to your kids about some of these issues. Um, We want to know how have these bills affected you? How have you approached talking to your kids about gender and sexuality? I am, uh, we can give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. We have a caller now, Flint from San Francisco. Flint, go ahead. Hi, I'm a 26-year-old trans individual in San Francisco. I feel extremely privileged to be able to have gotten the care that I got from medical professionals. And I just wanted to bring up two points that were already kind of touched on, but medical transition for trans folks isn't a simple process, and it's not overnight. It takes a long time. You have to talk to a lot of different professionals there's a lot of hoops a lot of paperwork it's not something a kid can just decide oh i want to do something yeah and it happens tomorrow um and then also like preventing education and medical support for kids who are struggling with this it's not an easy process is life-threatening you know if i hadn't have had the privilege to talk to medical professionals to talk to therapists to get all the care that I needed, I wouldn't be here today. And from the trans community that I've talked to and the many individuals in my life who have transitioned, Mm -hmm. that's also true for them. So at the end of the day, the day, like these bills just put people at risk and, you know, put people at risk for serious self-harm and suicide. Yeah. Have they made you feel any less safe even here in San Francisco? Well, I'm sure you can hear the emotion in my voice. I feel pretty safe in San Francisco, but I think definitely if I was living in Texas and Florida and any 
um, other state that has bills like this going around, like definitely would feel unsafe. I lived in Washington for a time and actually got assaulted at a gay bar um, going into the bathroom of my choice. And that was, it wasn't at a regular bar. This bar was specifically for LGBTQ people. Yeah. It happens. Absolutely. Flint, thank you so much for your call. Uh, Kate, can you respond to that? Because I think it's true. I mean, there's anti-transness within the gay community. Um, You know, there's a lot of conversations happening, especially, I think, in... um, you know, adolescent circles around non-binary identification. And a lot of people are just still uncomfortable with this. It's, 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 I I don't know. I've been trying to think about like why and what are the ways that folks can kind of wrap their heads around it who might be discomforted, maybe even if they're not complete bigots. Yeah. And, you know, I think that is a really important point because I think that um, there are, A lot of people who are like, for example, the people who are pushing these bills um, in in two state legislators and then in some cases in state legislatures around the country, those are people who um, truly don't care about the consequences. Um, You know, someone like uh, Greg Paxton, for example, you know, um, Joe did a great job of laying out everything that's been happening in Texas. And, you know, you don't have to um, entertain any of his justifications about why he's doing what he's doing. Um, just this morning, he um, you know, tweeted uh, misgendering Rachel Levine. So, I mean, what you're seeing is somebody who who clearly just is disrespectful, discriminatory, <laughs> working from a place of anti-transgender um, animus, discrimination, <clears throat> misunderstanding. Um, and there are those people out there. And unfortunately, too many of them have been elected to state legislatures and are making laws at the state level. But And this goes back to your point earlier as well, which is that does not reflect the overwhelming um, sentiment of the American population. And, you know, I do think there are a lot of folks out there who are what I would call fair-minded or fair-hearted, right? That they know that they want to be in a place where they're part of an inclusive, loving, welcoming society, but they maybe still have a few questions. Mm -hmm. And I think that we overlook those folks at our peril um, because they are, they want to come along and they just don't have all the answers. And much like, you know, I would say all of us, right, there are all, for all of us, there are things that we don't know. And so I do think that as an advocate, it's important um, that we do make sure that we are reaching out to folks who need, who who are well-intentioned, but don't quite get it and making sure we're providing them with the information they need. I think for all of us, we grow up, we we uh, we live, we grow up in a very gendered society. And while gender norms have obviously changed over the course of time, those are also things that we have all been breathing in and out our entire lives. And uh, asking us, asking ourselves why it's so difficult to accept people who are challenging our ideas of what it means to be male or what it means to be female, that's a really important conversation for us to be having with ourselves, with the people we love, to hold the people that we love accountable um, for growing on those pieces. And so, you know, I do think overwhelmingly people support equality. And to the extent that people have questions, that's something that we have to make sure that we're helping them understand. including for, I I agree, Joe did a great job of laying out, this is what gender affirming care looks like. It's not any of the scary stuff 
that the proponents of these bans are trying to make people believe. Absolutely. And we can talk to Dr. Terman a little bit. I want to bring in another caller, Bella from Oakland. Hey, Bella. Hi, good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks for calling. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, my experience as a specialty teacher. Um, I teach grades one through five. And um, in the fifth grade class last, I think it was January, um, I saw a couple of students being addressed by their friends with non-binary pronouns, with they, them pronouns. Um, and so I decided uh, just for the fifth grade class to bring that conversation of, um, of pronouns. And the way I decided to open it was to just say to the class, I realized that this is in January and it's not, you know, in September when we start school. Um, but if any of you have pronouns that you'd like to share with me, I am open to hearing that. And, um, and one of the boys in the class was like, very sweetly, uh, what are pronouns? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then opening that conversation of, oh, well, I am, I identify as a woman. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I wrote it up on the board. And the boy was like, oh, I'm a boy. I use he, him. Mm. Like, fantastic. Um, and then a couple uh, days later, those two students who I heard being addressed by their classmates with they, them pronouns, they both came up to me individually and were like, hi, I want to let you know that these are my pronouns. And very, like, sweetly, and, and it took a lot of courage for them to come say that to me. Um, and I think that in those moments, to be able to be a gender-affirming, safe teacher, um, it made me feel really proud to be in the place that I am with those kids. Absolutely. Bella, thanks for the call. We really appreciate your perspective. We are talking about the anti-LGBTQ plus bills and legislation in other states and also how to talk about these issues. Uh, Here with us is Kate Oakley from the Human Rights Campaign, Dr. Jack Turbin, Chief Fellow in Child and Adolescent Psychiatry at Stanford University School of Medicine. And after the break, we're going to hear from a mom of a trans kid in Arizona. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. We're talking this morning about what's happening in Texas, Florida, and many other states with anti-LGBTQ bills and legislation. Um, And I want to introduce now Lizette Trujillo. She is a member of the Human Rights Campaign Parents for Transgender Equality National Council and a mom in Arizona. Lizette, welcome to Forum. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, well, you know, I think you've heard some of our conversation this morning. We're obviously talking about um, these bills, but I, I, I really wanted to hear from you directly about what your experience has been like as a mom, um, being an advocate for your child and, and living in a, a purple state, I would say, like Arizona. We're not truly purple, but I mean, uh, we're not truly purple. And so that clearly there's still so many horrible legislation that's coming through um, our government. Uh, this year, we had 12 anti-trans bills uh, hit the floor. What I want to say, because I think that Kate really touched on this, is that this conversation around CRT, around um, uh, transgender youth having access to public spaces and to be supported in school spaces, this is not new, right? I think that um, the conversation, it, the conversation around why schools are being targeted is purposeful. Um, when you think about racial segregation, when you think about the Chicano walkout movement in the late 1960s, um, there has always been an understanding that in spaces where people learn together, if you allow inclusivity, if you allow um, minorities to participate in these spaces, you create, you break down bias um, and you allow for uh, new understanding. And I personally believe stronger communities to come forward out of these. And so I really want to talk about why this is so important and, the, and why this hits that intersectional level. Um, for us in Arizona, I drive three hours a day to take my child to a safe and affirming school district where he has access to public uh, to public accommodations, bathrooms, locker rooms, sports. Um, he's supported in the classroom. This has allowed him to thrive, right? He's in a safe home. Um, I have the capacity to drive that long during the day uh, and a lot of other kids don't. But again, I think it's because there's and a deep understanding that in education spaces and spaces where communities naturally come together, where kids come together to learn, if you allow for kids to meet other people who are not like them, you will break down bias and you will create stronger communities. Yeah. And we wouldn't be having this quote unquote debate on whether trans children are real or not. Absolutely. Lizette, how is your child doing? And, you know, we spoke earlier about how these laws and attempts at these laws can, you know, negatively impact the mental health of kids, regardless of whether they're directly impacted by them. Have you seen that in your family? I think Jack Turbin said it perfectly in that children internalize what they are hearing. I've been, um, you know, it took us some time, but I've been really proud of my son who has gone to the state capitol five times this year to advocate for himself oh. and his friends. Um, for him, he has a really strong friend group, but also recognizes that he's one of the few that lives in an affirming home. Right. And so for him, he feels like it's, it, it's up to me to show up 
and to speak out for people who can't because mm-hmm. I'm in a home that allows me to be supported and loved. That's and I, 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 I just want to say like, it breaks my heart every time we have to go up there because he shouldn't have to be advocating for himself. Um, and he should be in school and he should be doing all the things that his peers are doing. Yeah. But I'm also very proud of him for stepping into the moment. Can I ask you before we let you go, Lizette, I mean, what was this journey like for you? I know that um, you're a very supportive parent and you're doing all the, the, the things you see as best. But, I, I, you know, these types, you don't always expect this, right? When your kid is born. And, and I know... Um, you know, in my own family, when my sister came out, my parents who are very accepting of the LGBT community just had to kind of wrap their heads around it. Was was it a process for you as well? I think that it's always a learning experience. I thought I was a very progressive person and then quickly realized I had, I carried a lot of gender bias about myself and about other people. Um, because again, we are shaped by our society. I am, I want to say that I'm, um, what's really what has really shaped my journey is that I'm first generation my parents immigrated from Mexico when they were three and five with my grandparents and the fact that my son has less protection um than my father does uh or than I do is distressing and um it's why we all need to show up and push for the Equality Act. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to, cre- to create a, a country that is inclusive of all people. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the process a lot of parents and family members go through, which is just wanting your kid to be happy and protected and not have a hard time in life, right? I mean, that's what we right. want for our children. Lizette Trujillo, she's a member of the Human Rights Campaign's Parents for Transgender Equality National Council. She lives in Arizona. Lizette, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. I want to bring in a caller now, Michael from Santa Rosa. Michael, go ahead. Hi. Um, yeah, I have a, uh, a child whose um, orientation has been kind of shifting um, started non-binary and then now perceives themselves as he, they, and um, I'm I'm open to it. And but what concerns me is some of the medical things that are available are are kind of frightening. There's mm-hmm. some real ramifications to some of the processes of of uh, altering your body. Um, from simple things like binding, which can, you know, deteriorate breast tissue, to some of the hormone treatments that are, um, you know, some things you can't reverse if the adolescent changes their mind. And as a parent, it's just like really frightening to look at what um, what could happen, um, as well as, you know, these kids are young, mm-hmm. and and everybody's doing it. It's like this huge, huge number of kids, especially in our, our area that are exploring different roles. And sometimes I think they look at their roles and, and they're not even, you know, they want to be a, a male or a female, but they don't even know what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it mean to be a man? What kind of man do you want to be? Um, are you going to be a man that leers at women and shouts out cat calls, which I've asked them not to do because I think that is um, exploring the negative side of masculinity. Mm-hmm. And then when I want to say, well, this is what it means to be a man. I want you to be, you know, 
caring and supportive and protector and all the things that the good side of masculinity are. So all these gender roles that they're exploring, um, there's just some some, yeah. uh, some real concerns, especially around the medical. Yeah, yeah. And we uh, have a doctor here who, who, who practices in this area. Um, D- Dr. Turbin, th- thank you so much for the call and for your openness, Michael. I really appreciate it. I think you hit on, yeah, some of the concerns that, that Kate talked about. Uh, can you, Dr. Turbin, respond to what we heard from Michael and maybe walk us through, you know, I, I've heard you talk about this um, in the past and explain really clearly sort of the different steps and why some of them are actually a way for kids to have more time to do this t- kind of exploration and, and self kind of insight, right? Yeah, I really appreciate the way you framed that also. And it sounds like you're having really great conversations with your kid. Um, Gender is not simple. Like you're pointing out, it involves so many things, right? The way we relate to our bodies, the way we relate to gender roles. Um, For a lot of kids, there's also this kind of difficult to put into words sense of what their gender is. But because of that complexity, often what the first step is, is just, um, you know, sitting with a therapist who has a lot of experience in gender and in a non-directive way, right? So we're not trying to push the kid to be cisgender. We're obviously not trying to push the kid to be transgender, but really the way kind of this gender therapy works is we kind of just ask these prompting questions, like what does gender mean to you? Um, to help the kid understand themselves in a very similar way um, to what you're describing that you're doing with your own child. And as you pointed out, there, there are these different steps of gender affirmation. So I think a lot of parents think that they're going to come to a gender clinic and immediately they're going to start testosterone or they're going to get a referral for surgery. Um, and that, that's generally not how these clinics work. So usually the first appointment is just sharing a lot of information, you know, talking about what is a social transition? What do puberty blockers do? What are the risks and benefits? What does testosterone do? What does estrogen do? Um, And it's very rare that you actually would ever get a prescription in that first appointment. Um, And at least at Stanford, we go through a very detailed process. um, First with the kid explaining all of the implications of medical interventions, if that's something they're thinking about. We go through all that information with the parents also. And it it is often a big decision because like you're saying, some of the physical changes that come with estrogen or testosterone are not fully reversible. Um, But that's also part of the reason that we take this very stepwise approach. So for prepubertal kids, there are no medical interventions. For kids who are just entering puberty, we might consider a puberty blocker. The reason puberty blockers are so nice is that puberty itself, we cannot undo later, right? So if we don't do a puberty blocker and someone develops chest tissue, voice changes, that we either can't undo that in the future or you might need surgery in the future. So so it's nice to be able to put puberty on pause. And, that, and, and can I just to clarify, that's what it does, Dr. Turbin, is if you go off of those and don't, you know, do other hormone replacement l- later on, puberty would just progress as it would have? Exactly. So puberties are, puberty blockers are nice because they're reversible. So puberty itself, we can't undo, but the puberty blocker, we can. We just take out the the implant or we stop the shots and then the puberty you would have gone through anyway, you, you, you'll go through. Um, and then we really wait until later in adolescence before we start thinking about estrogen or testosterone, because like you said, those are changing your body in some ways mm-hmm. that um, aren't fully reversible, but the ways in which they're changing your body are really the same as the way puberty changes your body. So I think it's helpful to reframe a little bit and keep in mind that 
Do estrogen, testosterone change your body in irreversible ways? Yes, but so does just your endogenous puberty. Right. And for a kid who is feeling enough gender dysphoria that they're asking their parents to come to a gender clinic, um, I think it's really important to weigh the risks and benefits, both of starting these interventions, but also of not starting mm-hmm. these interventions. Um, but they're never interventions that are started lightly and they require a lot of conversation. And usually first the kid has gotten the bravery to talk to the parents about it. <laughs> and then the conversations with the parents have gone well enough that then they finally get to the gender clinic. Once they're at the gender clinic, they're often referred to see a therapist. Um, and also to even be a candidate for any medical interventions, um, you need to meet criteria for this diagnosis of gender dysphoria, which is controversial, but requires that you've identified as a gender different than your sex assigned at birth for at least six months. Oh, wow. So there's nothing rushed about this process. Some of the clinics also have wait lists of six months to a year. Okay. Um, so that's really a misconception yeah. that's out there. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. We're talking about gender identity, sexual orientation, how to talk to your kids and the pushback and and, and anti-LGBTQ laws and bills that we're seeing in other states. I want to bring in another caller. Carrie is calling from Colorado. Carrie, go ahead. Hi. As the um, mom of a now transgender uh, young adult who came out as an adolescent and uh, I guess the target of... uh, I would be convicted of a felony in some of these states for what I did to support my son. Uh, I just wanted to give some hope in this conversation. So we love hope. We love hope. (laughs) We love hope. Good. Good. And I can get so down and so heavy. Um, He was 15 when he came out. He's an identical twin. Um, She did not come out. She is not transgender. She is not LGBT. Uh, She is a huge ally. Um, But. he and, and he struggled. And had he not been able to become who he needed to be at school, and we live in a very small town. There is one high school. It had to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it did. And he got the support of the staff, and he was able to talk to them about it. He was able to continue to play sports uh, in high school. And it was his choice to wait on hormone therapy or anything other than uh, what's called a social transition uh, until he graduated had he not been able to do that, had we not been able to support him to do that, we would not have him. And what we have right now is a 22-year-old who is graduating from a major public university with two bachelor's degrees in music and computer science. He is engaged. He owns a home. And he will be um, starting a job at a major corporation in June when he graduates. He is a productive, happy member of society and it's up to him to tell people whether he's trans or not. And he tells some people and he doesn't tell everybody. Um, and we are, I mean, we're cutting ourselves out from wonderful people if we can't give them the support to become that. Yeah. Thank you so much for your call, Carrie. Uh, you must be very proud. Uh, I want to bring in before the end of the hour one more Laura from Moffat. Laura, thank you for holding on so long. And we only have a few minutes left, but I just wanted to hear your comment. Sure. No, my comment is sort of piggybacking on some of the other comments. I mean, Carrie, you make me want to cry. (laughs) Michael, you know, the fact that all of these kids are able to be supported in exploring their identities is brilliant. This conversation is brilliant. I'm in my 60s. If I had had this kind of support when I was coming out, when I was an adolescent, my life Who knows what my life would have been? Who knows what opportunities would have been available to me? 
You know, I've had a great life, but there's always that little part of me saying, uh, if I had been able to have been supported, who knows where this would have gone, and my life would have been immeasurably better. Oh, thank you for the call. Thank you for having these conversations. And there is hope because I hear it in your program right now. And thank you so much. Thanks, Laura. Kate, give you the last word, just a few minutes left, but um, you got to have hope, as Harvey Milk said, right? You do. And I will say that um, I have gotten hope just from listening um, to this conversation. This has been so wonderful and hearing from all of these callers and You know, I do want to emphasize that for folks that maybe um, do have more questions, that there are answers out there um, and that I promise that all of the scary stuff that you've heard is not real. (laughs) Um, This is very much being uh, being pushed from a political standpoint because um, there are some really craven politicians out there who do not care about the well-being of trans youth or trans adults and who are very willing to put these kids um, uh, and their well-being at risk in order to win re-election. And um, shame on them for doing that. And um, please make sure that if you if you are one of the folks who have questions, that you are taking steps to learn um, what the the pieces that um, that maybe you don't know as well. And there's no shame in not knowing everything. Um, but also, please make sure that this this political messaging, which is designed to make you afraid and to turn against your neighbor, that you don't let that seep in. Um, honestly, these bills are all about hurting kids and. Uh, and about trying to erase LGBTQ people from existence, from the conversation. Um, They cannot do that. They will not do that. Um, They're not going to prevent more LGBTQ people from from being born and coming out. Um, And they're certainly um, not going to be able to to keep folks down. So um, it's a very resilient community. Thank you to all of the allies. And thank you so much for this program. Yeah, thanks to you. That's Kate Oakley. She's state legislative director and senior counsel at the Human Rights Campaign. Also with us has been Dr. Jack Turbin, chief fellow in child and adolescent psychiatry at Stanford University. Dr. Turbin, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much. During this hour, we were also joined by Joe Yurkeba, reporter at NBC Out. That's the LGBTQ section of NBC News. And Lizette Trujillo, a member of the Human Rights Campaign's Parents for Transgender Equality National Council. She's the mom of a transgender child in Arizona. That's going to do it. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.